0: Okay, for uh, all the late arrivers, this is going to be a, a different morning. We have a, a great, great morning here with Andy Park uh, leading worship for us and the baptism of Molly McCandless. And uh, in a few minutes, uh, there's going to be kind of a brief message this morning, because in a few minutes, Todd Proctor, the senior pastor at Rock Harbor, is going to come over. And when he comes in, and I introduce them, you all stand and give him the biggest, most embarrassing standing ovation you possibly can, and uh, we just want to make his face turn red. All right. Well, our readings this morning describe for us a kind of community into which a baby might be baptized. And they invite us to find our life and to live our life in that story. And this is actually a very holy holy uh, thing that we're being asked to do. It, we're actually being align, asked to align our lives and our community around this story that the readings tell us. Now, I would not normally read such a long quote. I don't think I've done it in the whole year we've been together, but I've said to you before, I think that you all need to just buy the Bible, the message. And if for no other reason, the introductions to the books that Peterson writes are just, they're worth the price of the Bible itself. So I want to read to you a part of uh, Eugene Peterson, his introduction to Amos. More people are exploited in the cause of religion than in any other way. Sex, money, and power all take a back seat to religion as a source of evil. Religion is the most dangerous energy source known to mankind. The moment a person or a government or a religion or an organization is convinced that God is either ordering or sanctioning a cause or project, then anything goes. The history worldwide of religion-fueled hate, killing, and oppression is staggering. But the biblical prophets are in the front line of those doing something about it. They continue to be the most powerful and effective voices ever heard on earth for keeping religion humble, honest, and compassionate. And among these prophets, Amos towers as a defender of the downtrodden poor. None of us, Eugene says, can be trusted in this business. If we pray and worship and associate with others who likewise pray and worship God, we absolutely must keep company with these biblical prophets. We are required to submit all of our words and acts to their passionate scrutiny so to prevent the perversion of our religion into something self-serving. A spiritual life that doesn't give a large place to profit articulated justice will end up making us worse instead of better separating us from God's ways instead of drawing us into them. What the prophets do is they show gaps. God has a thing going on. Let's make that like in the, in, the, in the bullseye of that, the center of that, let's say, is this candle flame. And so anything that's in alignment with or heading towards that flame is a part of God's story. Anything that's going off is what the Bible calls sin, to miss the mark. And when the prophets saw those gaps, they called people into alignment with the story that God was calling them to live in. So Amos is saying something to these 12 tribes who are living indifferently to Joseph. Wake up, look around, get off your pedestal. Woe to those who live only for today, indifferent to the fate of others. Woe to those playboys and playgirls who think that life is a party held just for them. Woe to those addicted to feeling good, to life without pain, to those obsessed with looking good, with life without wrinkles. The psalmist tells us this morning that God upholds the cause of the oppressed, that he gives food to the hungry, he sets the prisoners free, he gives sight to the blind, he lifts up those who are bowed down, he watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Well, how does he do all this? In your lifetime, in, in the years or months or decades that you've been in faith, have you ever seen an angel feed a homeless person? Have you ever seen an angel argue for justice for the downtrodden poor? You don't see God himself doing it in that sense. So how does God do this? He does do this stuff. He does give food to the hungry and set the prisoners free, give sight to the blind. He does do this. How? Through the church. So that for the downtrodden, God is their hope, but the church are God's instruments. So when the psalmist says God loves the righteous, what he's saying is God loves those whose manner of life is ever increasingly just clicking over into alignment with what he's doing. God loves those people, and they are his instruments for goodness on the earth. Well, Timothy tells us that we don't align our lives with God um, by accident. No one drifts into alignment with God. Timothy tells us that alignment with God, what we sometimes call spiritual formation, is an active thing. So Timothy says things like flee the love of money, pursue righteousness, fight the good fight of faith, which is not a military metaphor, it's an athletic metaphor. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life, keep this command. You can see that those are action words, flee, pursue, fight, take hold, keep. And, this is very important for anybody who might be confused by this, grace does not set those things aside. The doctrine of grace, the doctrine of unmerited favor in your life, it sits there. But it doesn't set these things aside. It enables them. The grace, the goodness, the unmerited favor of God enables us to flee the love of money, to pursue righteousness, to fight the good fight, to take hold of eternal life, and to keep this command. Well, when we come to the parable, uh, and that's what this is, again, this is one of those difficult parables. We've had two difficult parables two weeks in a row that I've been here. This is another one of those difficult parables that people don't know exactly what to do with. But let me see if I can boil it down for you. Simply, Jesus is saying to the religious leaders of his day, you are acting like the people that Amos prophesied against. You're the ones right now who are sort of in favor and in the good, and all around you is a society that's perishing, and you're doing nothing about it. You're sort of wasting your days, as Peterson puts it, in conspicuous consumption. Well, here's why. In the Jews of Jesus' day, they thought that wealth was proof of righteousness. So, do you hear that? They thought that anybody who was wealthy, that was proof that they were living their life in alignment with God's story. And they were experiencing God's grace and God's power in a way that they were aligned with what God was doing. That's what they sincerely believed in their heart. And this parable is Jesus acting like Amos and saying, I know what you think, and I know that you're actually sincere about it. But you're sincerely wrong. You are living exactly like what Amos was prophesying against. So Jesus is saying something like, we all know Lazarus. He's our neighbor. This is very much like the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we've all stepped over him or around him in L.A. or New York. And this is an appeal where Jesus is saying to the religious leaders of his day, just do what Moses and the prophets have asked you to do. That's all I'm asking. It's something like that. It's kind of like your mother saying, all I'm asking you to do is pick up your room. You know, like, what can be so hard about this? That's what this parable is saying, something like this. Look, you know, when... um, The rich man says, well, you know, they have Moses and the prophets, and if you send them and warn them, then then they'll clean up their room. And Jesus, like a mom, is saying, no, even if I raised from the dead, you wouldn't clean up your room. (laughs) And actually, you know, while that's somewhat ironic, it actually happened that way. They had Moses, who was one of the most ancient chief advocates for being the people of God that we've ever known. They had the prophets, and they saw Jesus brutally beaten, drug away and buried in a tomb. Three days rise from the tomb. For a period of weeks, appear before up to 500 people. And then people actually witness with their own eyes him ascend to heaven, and they didn't get it. So when Jesus says, even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe, he was saying literally, that something is going on with you guys that keeps you from hearing what Moses and the prophets and I have constantly done as I have spoken out for care for the poor. And how you enter into this story by fighting the good fight, by pursuing righteousness, by fleeing the love of money, by taking hold of this new kind of life, which actually is a prize in and of itself. When he says that if you'll, if you'll align your life with this story, if you'll align yourself with what God's doing, there's a prize in it. And we, we've always tend to thought of it as the prize of eternal life, something that we get out there after we die. And of course, that's true. But there's a prize in this life. The prize of the ease of alignment and, and breaking the power of all the, just think of all the emotional and intellectual and sometimes physical energy that is spent in living a life out of alignment. Do you know how hard it is to be a liar? It really takes a lot of effort to keep all your lives straight. But think of the peace of just aligning yourself with God. Do you know how hard it is to be an addict? Think of the peace of aligning one's life with God. There's a prize in this. And this is what Our readings this morning are inviting us into a life that is prized both here and now, and that requires our active participation in it, but is fueled by the life of God. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www dot my holy trinity church dot com